Welcome to part two of Elite Fantasy Basketball's look at the current nine cat top 100. We're going player by player and breaking down each player's rest of season outlook. A lot of players should continue to perform at the current level, but there are quite a few players who are either buy low or sell high targets. This pod will look at not only players ranked 51 to 100, but also some notables currently ranked outside of the top 100. We've got more guys to get through in this one. We're going to go through about 80 guys, so we'll be real quick with the steady options. Jeremy Grant and De'Aaron Fox are ranked 51st and 52nd. Both are boring options that should stay in that range, and both have solid playoff schedules. There isn't anything to worry about with either guy. 53 is Mitchell Robinson. He's going to be out until the break, probably. If you need big man numbers and he's on a struggling team, try to buy him cheap. At this point in the season, teams struggling to make the playoffs are going to be super desperate. For teams at the top of the standings, this is prime buying season. You you can probably get better deals right now than you can at any other point this year. Mitchell should go back to being a borderline top 50 guy when he's healthy. Neither of the backups are showing enough right now to eat into his minutes. He's probably going to be in the high 20s, while whoever wins the backup job is around 15 tonight. The 54th ranked player is Devin Vassell. He's not a must hold if you're struggling and I would not be buying low. He will probably not be playing his regular minutes until the second week of March or so and he will sit during back-to-backs in March. The Spurs also have a two-game week during the week that starts March 6th. I actually dropped him in one spot a couple weeks ago because my team just got absolutely decimated by injuries. In that league, I started with Steph, Dame, Beal, Jared Allen, Middleton, Vassell, and Wendell Clark. So it's been a pretty wild year. I've never been wiped out like that in fantasy basketball. It's happened to me in fantasy football, but never in basketball until now. Somehow, I'm right on the playoff line. I have a good shot again in, but injuries really give me zero room for error. So I had to do what I had to do. I think if I didn't drop Vassell, I'd probably be out of it or at least... Uh, far enough back where I, I would need a lot of help to get in. Uh, with Vassell, unlikely to play four games during any of the playoff weeks. He's not really going to make or break your chances. So even if he goes back to his normal numbers, it's not a massive loss. And a three-game week is only going to be more of a top 100 option. So yeah, hold on if you're doing well. But if you're a borderline playoff team, do what you have to do to get in. Zach Levine is 55th, but he should be valued as a borderline third-round guy. He's been a top 40 player over the last two months. He just had a really rough start to the year, which has killed his year-long ranking. Tyler Hero is 56. He's been struggling lately, but I wouldn't be too worried. He's a strong buy-low target. Actually, one of my favorites in the league. The struggles are due to some cold shooting that won't stick. They're not due to his role shrinking. Miami's March schedule is why I like him so much. From the break until the end of March, the Heat have five back-to-back sets. That means that Hero's going to have a lot of nights during the fantasy playoffs where he's getting extra minutes and extra touches because at least one of Lowry or Butler will be sitting. Brad Beal is 57th. He's been super efficient this year, having a real nice year scoring the ball, but it just seems like the steals and possibly the threes are gone for good. This is the second year in a row where he's been a drag in both categories. Without average threes or steals, there's no pass to the top 30. Beal's just a mid-round guy for now. He's got a pretty high floor, but his ceiling is gone. Trey Young is 58th. I hope you paired him with punt field goal percentage like you should have because if you didn't, that really hurts. Trey flopping shows the importance of punting. We can't predict every bust and you're going to draft one occasionally. So make sure that you punt and pair players with friendly builds because if you don't, then the bust really hurt. But if you pair them with friendly builds, then like, yeah, it's a disappointing pick, but it's not going to end your season. Trey has been a borderline top 30 player in punt field goal percentage this year. So if you took him at the end of the first, not great, but not devastating in punt field goal percentage and turnover so a cap punt field goal percentage he's actually been pretty solid he's been a top 20 option there he can't really buy low on Trey because of where he went in the draft I don't think anyone's given up for less than like a top 30 guy and if you're doing that you could lose that trade whether or not to sell him 
if you already have them for a true early round option depends on your build in punt field goal percentage i would just hold tight but in other builds i'd see if i could upgrade after a big game because in other builds he's just a top 50-ish guy and a top 50-ish guy who hasn't been trending up Julius Randle's ranked 59th. He should be valued above that ranking. He's been a top 40 guy over the last two months. He should be valued in that range. He was someone that was dragged a little too much in preseason, even when he's struggling. He's still a very effective punt field goal percentage option. He's actually quietly had a very nice year. Wood is ranked 60th. We don't have a timeline on him, but it doesn't sound like he's going to be out too, too much longer. He's been a top 30-ish guy since moving to the Mavericks starting lineup, but I wouldn't value him in that range since it sounds like Maxi Kleba is going to be back before the break. Wood was somewhat limited when Kleba was healthier early in the year, so it's possible that Wood isn't the same guy that he was down the stretch of January. Um, he actually has a pretty low floor. He wasn't even a top 100 guy before he got bumped into the starting lineup. Still his third-round upside, but there is a wide range of outcomes here, so he's pretty risky. It wouldn't be shocking if Wood became just a forgettable mid-round guy later in the year. Shengun is ranked 61st in 9-cat. He's been unleashed, but we can't lock in early round numbers just yet. He's a real deal. He's a future early round pick, but his big run has coincided with KPJ being out of the lineup. He's going to lose some touches when KPJ is back, and he could go back to being more of a top 50 player. A big reason for his emergence is a major assist rate spike that probably won't hold when KPJ is back. Zion is 62. Uh, of course, with Zion, the issue is in per-game numbers as games played. We probably won't see much of him before the break, and he's likely going to be somewhat limited once he does return. However, I don't think New Orleans is going to be too, too cautious with him now that they've come back to the pack and are at risk of missing the playoffs or ending up in the plan. If you're headed to the playoffs but don't think your team has championship upside, it's not a bad player to take a gamble on. Maybe he gets hurt again and that ends your season. But there's no point in going to the playoffs with a team whose upside is fourth place. If your team is good but not great, you need to take a swing before your league's trade deadline to give yourself a decent shot. Like, we want to play for the championship here. We don't want to just play for the playoffs. He should come fairly cheap if the Zion team is struggling. Personally, if I was out of the playoffs and I had Zion, I would be trying to trade him for win-now players. D'Angelo Russell is 63rd. He's benefited from all the Wolves injuries, but with the town situation looking very dicey, I wouldn't be in a hurry to move him. I think, like, yeah, his numbers could take a downturn, but probably not anytime soon. And it's just really, really tough to replace 2.6 threes per game and 6.3 assists per game, especially the dimes. Scotty Barnes has worked his way up to 64th overall. He's around his rookie year numbers now. He could be a borderline top 50 player, and I would value him around there, but his current top 30 run isn't sustainable. It's tied to some unsustainable shooting and some unsustainable defensive numbers. If the Raps move Trent or OG, that would free up some extra touches for Barnes, but I don't think it would lead to a major spike in value. If the Raptors dump some of their shooting, that's not going to be great news for the remaining Raptors just because they have so little shooting already. That offense could get really, really ugly. CJ McCollum is next. Not much to say there. His upside's capped due to the Pelicans' depth, but he's a solid mid-round option. DeLon Wright is 66 thanks to his steals. He's two swipes, three or four dimes a night, and not much else. He's a must-roster right now. Eight steals a week can swing your matchup in the playoffs. We also want to hold him because if Beal goes down again or if Morris gets hurt, things could get very interesting very quickly. 67th is Trey Murphy. Uh, we'll see what happens when Zion is back, but he's a hold for now. Murphy has been up and down since Ingram got healthy, but since he was producing mid-round numbers early in the season with Zion out and Ingram in, we should give him some leash and then reassess when Zion is back. Al Horford is ranked 68th despite averaging only 9.4 points per game. It's pretty impressive. Chop off a couple rounds of value. Um, if you play in eight cat leagues though, since he's averaging only 0.6 turnovers per game. 
If you're punted points, he's a great trade target. You can probably get him for a low-end guy who's playing well, and Horford will be much, much more than a low-end guy in punt points. Been a top 45 nine-cat asset when points don't count this year. Evan Mobley is 69th. I could see him outplaying that ranking going forward. His usage is up lately. It's in the low 20s. That's not a huge number, but it's good for Mobley. And he's handled the additional touch as well. Unfortunately, as long as the starting backcourt is healthy, it's going to be tough for him to be more than a top 50-ish option. Really promising player, both in real life and in fantasy, but his situation is just less than ideal. Going to be a real tricky guy to rank next year too, since the setup is probably going to be the same. John Collins is ranked 70th. His upside's gone, but he's still a very nice piece in punt assists and punt steals. Uh, if you need a bump in the big man categories and are punting dimes or swipes, he's a good trade target. He's usually available for cheap since he's not a big PPG guy these days. In punt steals, he's been a borderline fi- top 50 option. Real nice trade target there. Jamal Murray is ranked 71st because he was limited and struggling early on. He's hit a stride now, though. He's producing top 30 numbers over the last month. Unfortunately, probably has a two-game week during your fantasy playoffs. If you start your playoffs on March 6th and have a bye, then you avoid both two-game weeks. But in any other setting, you're going to have to deal with one. That hurts his value a bit, especially when we might have to deal with a rest day or two in March with the Nuggets looking like the heavy favorite to get the one seed in the West he has the potential to be a top 35 player going forward, but I would value him as more of a mid-round guy due to the schedule and the rest risk. Speaking of guys who are rest risk, Time Lord is next. He's ranked 72nd and only 23 minutes per game. That ranking doesn't mean much, though, because the minutes are going up in a hurry. He's around 30 a night uh, these days when the game is competitive. Uh, if he's playing minutes in the high 20s going forward, he's going to be a top 25-ish 9-cat guy. Uh, more than that in punt assists. Uh, punt threes and any any build really punting a guard category in roto is worth trading for before he really explodes uh, he's only going to get more expensive going forward in head-to-head he's a little dicey since he's going to miss plenty of games the rest of the way the Celtics are looking pretty good in the east they probably won't have to push him too much down the stretch Cam Johnson is 73rd despite only playing 25.9 minutes per game up to this point. He's got a good shot at being a top 50-ish player in nine cat now that he's playing around 30 minutes per game. He's one of those extremely low turnover guys though, so in eight cat take about 25 spots off his ranking. He's a must roster right now and someone to target and trade after his next dud. Since he hasn't really gotten going yet, you might be able to get him for a low end guy who's coming off a big stretch. Simons is the 74th ranked player. That's a misleading ranking, though, since he hasn't played at that level all year. He's either been way better than that or a good amount worse. Over the last two months, he's only been a top 150 option due to Dame getting healthy. With Lillard out there, Simons just doesn't really have any upside. All of his value is in points, threes, assists, and free throw percentage, and Lillard's presence holds him back in all four categories. He has league-winning potential, but really, unless Dame goes down, he's going to struggle to be even a top 100 option. He's someone you want to try to sell anytime he has a big game. Morant is ranked 75th, even though he's putting up some monster popcorn numbers. Uh, that shouldn't really be surprising since his game is just not category-friendly. In ACAT, he's been better, but he's still only been a top 50 guy. I think it's fair to wonder if he'll ever be a top 20 guy, at least in nine cat leagues, due to the nature of his game. I don't have much hope that it gets close to his ADP this year. He's playing at his expected level in real life. It's not like he's struggling. He's just not a great three-point shooter or free throw shooter, and he's never been a big steals guy. Uh, really, anytime he goes off, I would be trying to move him for a true early round guy. Yes, Memphis has a great playoff schedule, but the thing with Jab, because he is just tends to be one of the most overrated players in fantasy, like he's a top 75 guy who you could maybe swap for like a top 30-ish guy. Like regardless of the schedule, assuming the top 30 guy isn't, doesn't have a terrible schedule, like I, I would do that. That's still a major 
per game bump. Morant also gets the odd rest day, so his schedule may not end up being as nice as it looks. Clay Thompson, who's been a pleasant surprise this year, is ranked 76 and 9 cat, and that's just due to the slow start. He's actually been a top 45 guy over the last two months. I didn't think I'd be saying this at any point this year, but he's a pretty good trade target. The missed games that are limiting his value right now and are frustrating his managers are going to lessen, lessen going forward. As I mentioned in part one with Steph, the Warriors do not have any back-to-back sets in March after March 3rd. That means that there are no guaranteed rest days for Thompson in the fantasy playoffs. Might get the odd one here, but there aren't going to be as many rests as there have been up to this point. It's not going to be super pricey because he's sitting pretty regularly right now. So if you need points and threes, I would inquire about his price. P.J. Washington is 77th. He's turned his season around nicely. He's a solid mid-round option. I wouldn't be worried about a shutdown with Washington. The Hornets don't need to shut him down in order to lose. KCP 78th. He's a must-roster in all leagues. He's recorded two steals or more in 10 straight games now. It's a pretty impressive stat. Steals like that are obviously not going to last, but any player can give you two threes a night, and 1.5 steals per game should be rostered. The Nuggets do have a couple of iffy weeks during the fantasy playoffs, but we don't need to worry about playoff schedule as much with our low-end guys who we're likely dropping anyways for streamers when the playoffs come around. Dinwiddie's ranked 79th. He's another pleasant surprise this year. His game has not been category-friendly in the past, but it has been this year, and he stepped into the Brunson role and done a really nice job. Dinwiddie's value held up fine after Wood was moved into the starting lineup, so I wouldn't worry about the big man coming back. Also, it's possible that Wood's role is a little smaller when he returns. Aiden is ranked 80th. It's been another disappointing season for the big man. The upside's clearly there, but it doesn't look like it's going to be realized in Phoenix. His dynasty manager should be praying for a trade in the offseason or at the deadline. The Pockrin stats are really good, but we need his block rate to wake up or he's just going to stall in the middle rounds. This is the second year in a row where he's averaged only 0.7 blocks per game. He's actually been trending down in the category as the year has gone on, so I wouldn't expect a notable jump in value going forward. Kyle Anderson has done enough over the last month to jump to 81st in nine cat leagues. He's been a top 45 player over the last month with the town situation looking increasingly bad. Anderson has a pretty good shot of being a top 100 guy the rest of the way. He only needs about 27 minutes per game to get in that range and he should be around 30 a night until the beginning of March at least. After Towns is up to speed, he could lose a couple minutes of playing time, but with how good Anderson's been, I doubt he's going to get stuck in a small role. I wouldn't bother with a sell high. No one's going to give you a player for Anderson that can match Anderson's current numbers. Wagner's ranked 82nd. He's solid, but his upside is limited by Paulo being further along than expected. He's a high floor, medium ceiling player. We don't have to talk about him too much. Kevin Herter's breakout year has led to a top 85 ranking. His production has been steady all year, and so has his role. Keegan Murray trending up hasn't really impacted his value too much. Want to keep an eye on that, but Herter should be pretty safe. The rest of the way should be a top 100 guy the rest of the season. Brandon Ingram's ranked 84th. He's borderline top 50 guy before the injury. Should get back into that range eventually. He's a nice buy low target if he's sitting on a team that needs immediate help. Again, it's a great idea to try to pick on the borderline playoff teams if you're in a good position. The toe seems healthy, so I don't think he's too much of a risk. MPJ is next up. Denver is having a big year, but MPJ is not. He hasn't been terrible, but the Nuggets continue to limit him and has prevented him from living up to his ADP. If he was playing 32 minutes a game, he'd be a top 50-ish player, but he's only playing 28, and he's so he's only going to be a 7th or 8th round guy. With the Nuggets having an iffy playoff schedule, he's not someone I'm too interested in. Bobby Portis is 86. If the Bucks stand pat, stay pat at the deadline, should be a top 100 guy the rest of the way, but if the Crowder rumors end up leading to a trade. Portis could be in a little bit of trouble. You're not getting anything for him due to the injury. So if you do have Portis, just hold and hope that the Bucks don't do much at the deadline. Nurkic is ranked 87th. 
at this point, Nurk is who he is. That one top 40 finish that he has has proven to be a fluke. Nurk's body just can't handle big minutes, and he can only do so much in a 27-minute-per-game role. His calf is also flared up. That's something we should be worried about. He's probably going to have to spend some time on the sidelines, pick up Eubanks if you haven't already. I'm not buying low on Nurk. Just too much risk at the moment, and there's not enough upside to justify the risk. Draymond is next. He has been who we expected him to be. He's a great asset in punt points, but in other builds, he's fairly forgettable. Since his line is so unique, it's hard to give a blanket recommendation on him. But most of the time in punt points, it makes sense to target him in a trade. Dre has been a borderline top 50 player in the 9-cat version of punt points and a top 40 asset in the 8-cat version of punt points. He's not going to cost that much. He's also worth considering if you're winning points consistently and can afford to take the big hits since the Warriors have a really nice late-season schedule. Kelly Oubre is sitting in the 89th spot. He's a mustache in all leagues. May not be a top 100 guy as soon as he returns, but he will have made a round upside in March with Gordon Hayward being a huge shutdown risk. All it will take is one minor injury to Hayward, and we're not going to see him anymore. Also, giving Oubre all the shots he can handle is a great way to tank. Perto is ranked 90th in punt free throw percentage where you should have put him. He's been a top 55 player, so right around his ADP. He's been an okay pick. Early in the year, we were hoping that he sticks with the Spurs because playing in San San Antonio meant a big role. But now we should probably be hoping for a trade. Uh, He's been pretty limited lately. Some of that is due to blowouts, but since he's on the Spurs, every other game's going to be a blowout. He's been in the 25-minute-per-game range recently. Uh, That's not great. Uh, if Pirtle is a spur after February 10th, I'd be looking to sell him. A big role is not guaranteed on a different team, but at least we don't have to worry about a shutdown. And he probably should play at least 25 minutes on any team with the potential for more. Okongwu is ranked 91st thanks to his big run without Capella. He's fine to roster for now, but he's likely going to settle in as more of an elite streamer in 12-team leagues. As a reserve this year, he's only playing 20 minutes a game, and he's averaging only 8-6 and six with less than a block a night. That's more of a 14-team type of guy. Trey Jones is ranked 92nd. He's a low upside option, but due to the dimes and steals, he's a must in 10-team leagues. His role's safe since the Spurs don't have any great options behind him at point guard with Primo getting cut. Terry Rozier is 93rd despite crushing it lately. He's been a top 25 guy over the last month, which goes to show how bad he was early on. Still being ranked just inside of the top 100 after a run like that is pretty hard to pull off. I wouldn't call him a sell high because no one is giving you a top 40 guy for Rozier given how bad he looked early. He's not going to continue to post second round lines because his recent steal rate isn't sustainable, but he could be at least a top 50 guy going forward. The big offensive numbers are not due to hot shooting. Uh, In fact, he's kind of been struggling from the field lately, at least over the last couple of weeks. His role is just way bigger these days. Assuming you can't get something safer for Rozier, I'd probably just hold and hope for the best. It's not like Rozier doesn't have a history of posting early round numbers. Kyle Lowry is ranked 94th. The fact that he's 94th after being a borderline top 50 player until the beginning of January is pretty wild. Drop-offs of this magnitude are extremely rare. You have to assume that his knee is still an issue given how bad he's looked and how much the Heat are limiting him. If you were a borderline playoff team, he's not untouchable. It would be a brutal drop given how good he was until January, but do what you have to do to get into the playoffs. If Lowry is great in March, that's not going to mean much to your squad if you're in the consolation bracket. If you're in a great spot in the standings, I would definitely hold. It's possible that the knee injury has cooked his season, but it's also possible that he turns back into a mid-round guy overnight. There is likely not a higher upside option on your wire right now, so if you can, hold and see what happens. Bojan Bogdanovic is 95th as long as he's not traded and doesn't sound like he will be able to stay in that range. A trade would likely turn him into just a back-end option like it was in Utah since he wouldn't be featured like he is in Detroit. Marcus Smart's ranked 96th. It sounds like he's going to be out through the All-Star break at least. 
He's been a must in punt field goal percentage in the past, but with Malcolm Brogdon and Derek White there and Tatum taking it up a notch, his upside just isn't there anymore. Normally, I'd be saying buy low in punt field goal percentage, but with the injury taking longer to heal than expected, I'm staying away. There just isn't enough upside here to take the multi-week hit. We're almost done with the top 100, and then we'll move on to some other notables. Caruso's 97th. He's a worse version of DeLon Wright. He's fine to have, but if you're already winning and steals consistently, I look elsewhere. He doesn't have much value in that setup. If he starts to see around 28 minutes per game instead of the 24 or 25 that he usually does, he'll turn into a must-have in 10-team leagues. Kelly Olnick is ranked 98th. Pick him up if he's been dropped, assuming you're in a decent spot. If you're a borderline guy, feel free to just stream. He has a must-roster, but... Does he need to be rostered on a borderline playoff team? Probably not. Walker Kessler moving to the starting lineup won't necessarily have a huge impact on Olnick. He works fine as a stretch four. He's being limited right now, but as long as he gets back in the high 20s eventually, I'll have a good shot at being a top 100 player. KPJ is still sticking around the top 100. He's our 99th ranked player. We should be pretty worried about KPJ. I have him in a few spots and I'm pretty worried. He doesn't have a timeline. He's not doing basketball activities. And we've seen other foot or toe injuries drag out for much longer than expected this year. He's probably going to be out through the break, and if he is, we need him to come back immediately after the break, or he's likely to be somewhat limited during the start of the fantasy playoffs. There's a good chance that he's going to hurt you more than he helps you if your playoffs start early. If you're out of the playoffs right now, try to sell him. You may not be able to get much, but he's unlikely to give you anything useful before the fantasy regular season is over. Larry Nance finishes off the top 100. He's in that spot due to his big run in December. He should be rostered in 14-team leagues, but for now, he's just a 13th man or streamer in 12-team setups. Good player, but the Pels just have too much depth. Now we'll move on to some other notables currently ranked outside of the top 100. Walker Kessler is ranked 102nd. Expect him to finish at least 30 spots higher than that. His role's locked in. He's looking like a league winner. He was always a great bet to be a great permanent player. The question was whether or not he was going to be good enough in real life to, to earn a big minute role. He's definitely answered that question pretty emphatically. He is going to be a centerpiece of the punt free throw percentage build and some of the other big man heavy punting builds for a long time. Maxi is 105. The injury just tanked his season. He was heading towards top 75 finish, but in his new bench role, his upside is pretty limited. Needs an injury or he's not going to be more than top 100-ish per game player. However, it's the volume higher than that, like around top 80 due to that Sixers elite playoff schedule. Again, quantity matters more than quality a lot of the time in the fantasy playoffs. Bruce Brown is sitting at 107. He's had some quiet games lately, but he still must roster since he turns into a mid-round player whenever the Nuggets non-Jokic starters sit. Uh... That could end up being fairly often in March if the Nuggets continue to pull away in the West. If Memphis continues to slip, they're not going to have much competition. We could get some Jamal Murray and MPJ sits here and there in the fantasy playoffs. Josh Giddy has really turned it around after a pretty scary start. He's not going to live up to his ADP, but that was never going to happen since his ADP never made sense. The holes in his line are still there. The threes and steals are still terrible, but he's really upped his efficiency and it's been enough to turn him into a top 70 player over the last month. Probably not going to continue to shoot 52 from the field like he has over that stretch, but borderline top 100 numbers in 9-cat look doable, and that didn't look like it was going to be the case early in the season. Still more of a points league guy than a category league guy, but still nice to see lots of improvement. Aaron Gordon's next. He's great, but only in punt free throw percentage. The hit from the line that accompanies him is just massive these days. It's not quite Giannis, but it's like above Lucas. He can be a mid-round guy in punt free throw percentage, but right now, due to the high attempts and shooting 60% from the line, he's only producing borderline top 150 numbers. He's definitely someone that you want to sell in Roto where you can't work around that free throw percentage hit. Herb Jones has turned it up lately, but since he steals and not much else, he's not a must. I'd rather have DeLon Wright or Alex Caruso than Herb right now since they gave you dimes too. 
Wendell Carter Jr. is ranked just outside of the top 110. His plantar fasciitis may have flared up and that makes him someone to sell, preferably soon. His value will go to zero if he starts to miss games with it. The only cure for plantar fasciitis is rest and usually it takes a lot of it. The last time he sat out with the issue, he missed a month. I'd be willing to take most borderline top 100 options for him at this point. Mason Plumley is also ranked just outside the top 110. Deadline day is massive for him. If he's moved, he's almost certainly going to a backup role where it'll be useless. If he stays, then it'll be a shutdown risk, but he should be great for at least another month or so. Can't do much except cross your fingers. If you have Plum Dog, you're not going to be able to get anything for him in a deal. Keegan Murray is another rookie who's trending up in a hurry. His line looks a lot different than what we expected, but since he's having an all-time rookie season from deep, he needs to be rostered. He has a real shot at being a mid-round player in friendly builds like punt assists going forward. He's been a top 80 player over the last two months in nine cat leagues. He's averaged three threes per game on 48% shooting over that stretch. Threes at that level that are accompanied by a field goal percentage in that range are usually not something that can be found outside of the early rounds. He's also turned it up on the boards. He was a great rebounder in college, but his rebounding didn't translate until recently. He's sitting at 6.1 rebounds per game over the last 30 days, and he's been even better than that over the last two weeks. The defensive numbers are still lower than expected, but he's doing enough elsewhere to be really useful. He should not be viewed as a borderline player. He's a must-roster player. Ben Simmons is currently ranked 116th. I've given up on Simmons for the year. His minutes are unlikely to spike. He's probably going to be somewhat limited all year long, just minutes in the high 20s. With the Nets in a good spot, even without Durant, they don't really have a reason to push him. Simmons also seems content with being a non-factor in the scoring category, so I don't expect much improvement there, even though his scoring numbers are well below what we saw in Philly. Another ex-Sixers next is Markel Falls. The lack of threes will limit his overall value, but he's must-own in 10-team leagues due to how scarce dimes are. You just can't find that level of dimes and steals on the wire. Yeah, he's got holes elsewhere, but we got to think about category scarcity sometimes over ranking. Bogdan Bogdanovich is one spot behind Fultz. He's also must roster two in all leagues despite the so-so ranking. He's moved back to the bench and that should be good for his value. His usage rate is 10 points higher when he comes off the bench and his minutes don't really change when he comes off the bench. It just means less minutes beside Trey and Murray, which is good for his value. He's a nice buy low target if you need a points and three boosts. Once he starts shooting a little better, he should go back to being a borderline top 80 guy. I almost missed him because I'm not used to seeing a player of this caliber in this range, but Giannis is sitting at 123 in 9-cat. That ranking doesn't matter in head-to-head since we just look at the ranking with punt free throw percentage. But in Roto, we have a real problem on our hands and possibly an opportunity next year. He's been a terrible pick in Roto if you didn't plan on punted free throw percentage. If you did, though, he worked out just fine. Next year, he's probably going to go surprisingly late in Roto, and that opens up an opportunity. Punting is not easy in Roto, and punt free throw percentage can be especially hard to pull off there since a lot of the time you end up unintentionally punting a second or even third category, but it is doable. Uh, like if you're getting Giannis in the second, like you start Luka Giannis or something, that's probably going to be possible in Roto next year, especially in ACAD. That could really work out nicely for you. That's definitely going to be something that we're going to discuss in next year's draft guide. In terms of the rest of season outlook, we just got to hope that there aren't too many rest days. I, I'm not sure there will be with the Bucks kind of in a tough spot. I don't think they're going to want to be the four seed or anything like that and have to go on the road in Philly, Brooklyn, and then, of course, in Boston. Jared Vanderbilt had a nice start to the year, but he's a drop now with Kessler taking over. He's fine to drop. Really, for anyone, I would just stream his spot at this point. There's a decent chance he's not in Utah on February 10th, too. Uh, if he's not in Utah, he's probably not going to be useful either. I think most teams view him as a bench guy. Kyle Kuzma's doing his usual nice popcorn numbers, ugly percentages, turnovers, and ugly defensive numbers thing. Led to a top 130 ranking in nine cat leagues. It's a free agent this year, but it sounds like he's going to stick around in Washington for the rest of the season. It's a very build and team-specific asset due to all the holes in his line. If you're not punting one of his weak categories, though, he's not going to be that useful 
in that scenario, it may make sense to shop him. Kuzma usually has more trade value than he should since managers love to overrate points and since he's an ex-Laker with a big name. Valanchunas is ranked just after Kuzma. Real tough year for JV. Not necessarily his fault, but just because the Pels are so deep. Um, that's really the reason for uh, his dip. If he was getting 28, he'd be really good, but that's not in the cards this year. His ranking's not great, but he's not a drop because there's just so few quality big men this year. But I wouldn't expect him to trend up. I think the Pelicans are just going to play a ton of guys the rest of the year, just like they have up to this point. Jalen Williams' recent steal rate is a fluke, but the upward trend in the offensive categories is not. He could be a very efficient 15 points per game guy down the stretch with upside for more if someone in the starting line backcourt goes down. It's not going to be a mid-round guy like he has been lately due to the regression in swipes. Wasn't a great steals guy early in the year and wasn't a great steals guy in college, so I don't buy it. But he definitely has a shot at cracking the top 100 if he continues to improve on the offensive end. We're running out of interesting guys to talk about, but there's still a few more players to go through. Jalen Duran's blocks have woken up since he returned from his ankle injury. If he goes back to being a 0.8 blocks per game guy, he'll just be a back-end guy who you would drop during playoff weeks where boards aren't competitive. But if he can get into the 1.3 blocks per game range, which is where he's been lately, then he'll be a mid-round player in friendly builds. It's possible the block rate stick. It was poor for most of the year, but he was a very good shot blocker in college. And block rate usually translates from college to the pros. Jordan Poole is still ranked just inside of the top 150, but he should eventually end up around the top 100 if he continues to start. He's been in that range since Curry came back. Uh, Poole isn't going to explode as long as Steph and Clay are healthy, but moving the starting lineup gives him a shot at playing around his ADP down the stretch. However, I wouldn't really call him a... Uh, buy low because you probably can't get a good price on him and also because i'm not 100 percent sure that the starting job is going to stick uh the three guard lineup does not really make a lot of sense for the warriors their net rating with looney in there is so much better the team's the three guard lineup actually hasn't been very good this year but their normal starting lineup is excellent so if they continue to struggle i could see them moving back to that and if that happens then pool's going to lose some minutes and i'll probably go back to just being a back-end guy Paulo is a clear rookie of the year, but it hasn't translated to a ton of value in nine-category leagues. Great in, in points leagues, but he's got a bit of a messy line, kind of a poor man's Randall. No shame in that for a rookie, but we need to be careful to not overrate him this year due to the flashy popcorn stats. In nine-category roto, he's not someone that you want to be starting. In eight-cat, he's a low-end starter in roto, but in nine-category leagues is not ideal. In head-to-head, he can be a top 100-ish player in nine-cat in the right build. The future is bright. But Paulo could definitely end up being one of those guys whose real-life impact always outpaces his fantasy value. We'll keep it going with the rookies. Tari Eason is awesome, and he's fine to hold for now since he's on a heater, but he's not a lock to be unlocked late. Uh, Silas didn't give Shengun, who was having a better rookie season than Eason, big minutes until the final two weeks of 21-22. It's very possible that Eason remains stuck in a 20-minute role for another month plus. If he stops putting up big lines in limited minutes, feel free to stream his spot, especially if you're in a tough battle for the playoffs. I don't think he's going to be reliable anytime soon. Next up is Eason's teammate and fellow rookie Jabari Smith. Like most, I had high hopes for the rookie. I didn't think he'd be a stud, but I thought the top 100 was pretty realistic. Unfortunately, shown no signs of life lately, and he's actually been trending down as the year has gone along. Usually, you see the opposite with rookies. Just a streamer in 10-team leagues, and he's not a must-hold at this point in 12-team leagues. On any borderline playoff team, he should be dropped. He's not worth more than a streaming spot. 
We'll take a short break from the rookies to take a look at Killian Hayes. Hayes was looking like a top 100 option, but Casey decided to go away from him. Um, hold through the deadline and then reassess. It's very possible that the recent demotion has just been used as a way to showcase Alec Burks. Although Casey has said that it's tied to getting Ivy more point guard minutes, and Ivy has actually looked a little better at point guard, so it, it could definitely stick. Hard to say how high the Pistons are on Hayes. He's looked much better this year, but if they still view him as just a backup point guard type of player, they might just hand over the keys to Ivy and let him develop. Mark Williams is just a deadline stash. He's an elite per minute player, top 20 per minute player. Could be a mid-round player in a 28 minute per game role, even if he gets stuck in a nasty timeshare with Nick Richards. Uh, if Plumlee sticks around though after the deadline, then he'll go back to just being a streamer. Plumlee could get shut down, but I doubt that happens anytime soon if he stays in Charlotte. Gordon Hayward is fine to have in 12 team leagues, but it won't be dropping anyone who's a lock to be useful in March for him. Hayward is probably the biggest shutdown candidate in the entire league, and he hasn't been that useful anyways. He's only been a top 180 guy this year. Jonathan Isaac is just a Hail Mary stash in Roto. That That's the best thing we can call him. He has no value in head-to-head leagues. Don't even think about the stash. Like maybe he gets a few 25-minute games late in the year to see how he does, but I think he's going to be pretty limited the entire year. Still kind of interesting long-term, but let's just reassess in the summer. Westbrook had a pretty good run, at least by his standards with AD out, but like LeBron, he's going to take a pretty decent hit with Davis back. He's untouchable in Roto and head-to-head, I wouldn't want him unless I was punting both turnovers and one of the percentages. Really, in any build, he's just going to be a low-end guy. He's going to be very expendable during the fantasy playoffs. Jalen Green, what a mess. Probably the biggest non-injury bust of the year. He's ranked outside of the top 209 category leagues, and he hasn't been getting any better. It's hard to call a player who dropped 40 twice over the last two weeks expendable, but he will be if he keeps playing at this level when the playoffs roll around. He's a point specialist at this point. He's not all that different from RJ Barrett. If he goes off again, try to trade him for any solid 12-team player. There really haven't been any signs that he's about to trend up. The recent 40-point games have been offset by some of the biggest studs that you will ever see. Ben Mathurin's having a nice rookie year, but not in fantasy. I know he's on a heater right now, but I wouldn't call him a must-roster in 12-team leagues. He hasn't even been a 14-team guy really since the end of November. The hot streak is also tied to Halliburton being out, so I would expect Mathurin to cool off pretty soon. The three ball's still looking pretty weak, and his steal rate's terrible, so I wouldn't expect a second-half breakout. He just doesn't have the type of game that allows for it. Another rookie whose game is not made for category leagues is Jaden Ivey. Other rookies ranked outside the top 259 category leagues. Got a nice role, but he shouldn't be rostered in Roto. And head-to-head, he's fine as the 13th man because he gets some dimes, and dimes are hard to find. But I wouldn't value him over a streaming spot if I was a borderline playoff team. There's not much upside here this year. He's a drag in both percentages, just like he was in college. And his steal rate has been just as bad in the pros as it was in college. Solid in points leagues, should be rostered in 12-team leagues there. But he's probably not going to be a no-brainer 12-team guy in category leagues for another year or two. We've been chirping a lot of guys, so let's end the pod on a positive note. Let's talk Chris Middleton. He's a great buy low in Roto, and head-to-head, I don't mind buying low either, although I wouldn't be willing to give up as much since missed games are a risk. Middleton has looked really good since returning. That wasn't the case earlier in the year when he was trying to come back. He looked pretty rough. He didn't look healthy, but he does look healthy now. He's played limited minutes, but he's definitely passing the eye test, and the permanent numbers have been good. I don't think he's going to play enough minutes to be his usual top 40 self. But I could see the top 60 happening. A lot of Middleton teams are going to be in a bad spot right now. So this is also an opportunity that good teams can try to take advantage of. Uh, you might be able to send over a player with less upside, but who has more value right now uh, to the Middleton team. If you're a borderline Middleton team, you probably want to consider that trade. Like you got to get into the playoffs and then figure out what you're going to do in March later. If you're trying to buy Middleton, maybe start with the top 100 guy and see if you get a bite. 
And with that, we're done. I think we touched on about 132 players. That is a lot more than I was planning originally, so I hope you enjoyed. It was fun doing a recap of where most of the fantasy-relevant players are sitting right now. If you like what you heard, subscribe to the pod. I'll be putting out more as the year goes on. There's also lots of great and unique content on the site. If you don't already subscribe to the site, please consider subscribing. Uh, some of the best stuff is on the site. We've got daily box score analysis and projections for category and points leagues that are updated constantly. Also, if you don't already, follow me on Twitter at Adam G. Stock so we can talk some hoops. Thanks for listening, guys. Looking forward to the next one.